0: Welcome to the podcast, it's the worst territory in the world, personalities, history, and other stories, we know you're craving for more knowledge, let the champions get their glory, it's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in, it is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world i'm your host gabe city here with chris goff and chris today we have a very special episode where we are going to just jump right into it and talk about the formation of metro pro wrestling chris how you doing this week
1: pretty good gabe it's been a nice week here in kansas city and uh when we were talking about doing an episode on uh, metro pro of course uh it's my baby and it's uh, the first foray into independent wrestling for me, which was a whole new education after going to WWF. It's very weird to start from WWF and then go back to the independent level. So that was an eye opener for me for many reasons that we'll get into. But yeah, it's, it's been great. How about you, Gabe? Your, oh, your week
0: going great? Oh, you know, I'm just rocking and rolling, enjoying this rainy weather, actually, Um Kind of, sort of, but yeah, everything is doing is going really good. I've been trying to keep up with the world of professional wrestling and find myself caring less and less about some of the things that I'm reading. So, anyways, without further ado, Chris, what we're going to do is we're going to talk. Obviously, Metro Pro, you growing up here had a big, big part of your wrestling experience and especially doing this podcast you know, calling it the worst territory in the world, the people that you booked, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to take a deep dive into Metro Pro. Um, So tell us about, you know, the final days um, leading. What was Where was your mindset, the final days of your WWF career and uh, coming back to Kansas City and what you thought you were going to do at that time?
1: Well, one day we'll have to go back into uh, exactly some of the specifics that led to my firing at the WWE. Uh, because that's a whole other ball of th- stuff that you know, like that. As a twenty-five-year-old guy, um, it was crushing because that was my dream job. Uh, started working there when I was barely nineteen years old, and uh, it was just a, it was unbelievable time. Uh, but it cut, you know. As I tell people all the time, it taught me a lot of life lessons about uh, you know loyalty and like how much it's worth at a corporate level. Just the corporate reality of life. I learned a lot there. So, what was happening is after I uh, got fired from WWE, I came back home. Well, actually, I stayed up there for a while in Connecticut and I was trying to get other jobs. You know, I was trying to get uh, writer's jobs with uh, other companies in the New York area, including Nickelodeon. Uh, at the time, they had a brand new show called SpongeBob SquarePants, and I was applying to be a writer for that show. Now, of course, on my resume, I'm like, I'm a writer for the top cable channel in the world. You know, and I thought that was actually going to be something that would open some doors. But as many writers have found out, wrestling <laughs> wrestling doors do not open uh, any other doors. So uh, for the most part,
0: did, unless did you... you- did you, so when you were applying, I want to backtrack a little bit. So did you want to stay in Connecticut because or the New York area because the opportunities as, as a writer were better? Or did you just not want to come back to Kansas City? What was it?
1: No, I had nothing to do with Kansas City. In fact, I always thought I'd come home at some point to my parents, my grandparents, everybody lived here. So I wanted to do that at some point. But I had a very serious girlfriend at the time. That was a that was a big part of my life. She worked. Uh, I met her at WWE, and she wasn't working at WWE either anymore. So I was living up in Connecticut, and um, you know, I don't know, man. It was sort of like, how am I going to parlay this, uh, you know, five six years I've had with WWF into something bigger than just going home and working uh you know in Kansas City somewhere uh, obviously the the media opportunities and stuff like that's not going to be the same so i basically was uh staying up there i was a freelance i got to do some cool stuff i was a freelance producer for the us open um you know i worked at the the tennis a couple summers um you know it, there was a Other odds and ends things here that I got to do, because there's just so many little opportunities daily that you can go work, you know, behind the scenes in some kind of production in the New York area. And I had a lot of friends that were connected still with wrestling and other things around there. So that's why I stayed up there. Um, But once, uh, you know, it it just was drying up. After a while, I was looking into jobs of being a radio, uh, sort of a radio DJ guy up in like northern Connecticut. Um, You know, stuff that would allow me to stay around there because I thought I was going to end up there for a while. but. Uh, it turns out that was not to be, so I, uh, ended up calling my parents, uh, probably about six months, seven months after I had left WWE and said, Hey, can you come help me move back home? And they were more than happy to do that. So, um, so when I got back home, I must admit, I did not watch much wrestling from, uh, 2003 through about 2005 or six, because not that I miss much. But uh, there was a uh, there was a uh, you know a, a big hatred sort of uh, sourness towards WWE at that point and wrestling in general. I was burnt out uh, not only because I was fired but just burnt out in general because once you work in a position like that, I've told you, Gabe. I mean, e- even working in sports the way I did after WWE, it's like you know you're around it so much. I mean, it's great that the the Chiefs are awesome now in Kansas City, but I, I you know I covered the Chiefs for 15 years, so then. You know, it's not as special to go to Arrowhead as like some like my children.
0: Did you feel the burnout coming in WWF?
1: Yes. Oh okay. God, yes.
0: Yeah. It, that... it, it, do Do you think that if you hadn't been uh, fired by one Stephanie McMahon, <laughs> do you think you would? Uh, do you think you would have stayed around, or where did the bur- would the burnout have gotten to you?
1: Um, she was a major issue in all of that. Um. And you know, like that's a whole other thing that I think we can talk about. Uh, just sort of like um, our, my relationship with—I uh, met my best friend there. His name is Seth Mates. He's a great writer, and he's gone on to do a bunch of awesome stuff after that. He actually quit. I contend that we would have both been fired. He likes to tell me that I was the only one fired. Uh, but uh, he—we both went into the right. We we were together at WWF.com. We were together at XFL.com. We did all that stuff. I was a video producer. He was a writer. He did a lot of big articles for the magazine, Raw magazine. He did the article on Stone Cold leaving the company. He did a lot of big stuff for them. He's very talented. But anyway, we both went into that. Um, I was told by Shane McMahon that you guys are going to get fired. We were really close with Shane McMahon, both of us. And uh, he said, you're going to get fired at some point. And, you know, and at that point, when you're 25, you're bulletproof, whatever, you know. Um, But uh, the burnout was real. Uh, just because the travel was crazy. Um I think if I wasn't, it was sort of good cop, bad cop with Stephanie and, and Vince. And again, we'll get into that deeper. But at the end of the day, uh, Stephanie made it almost unbearable at that point in my career to uh, even enjoy my job because you were living on uh just in fear of your job every day. now, a lot of people live that way at wWF. that's nothing new um but uh it just it, you know it was uh, it was causing me great uh you know uh, <laughs> I don't I was just always like worried all the time, you know um and uh so when that happened, uh you know I, I was definitely my parents when I would come home for Christmas, they would call them the lost years because. When I actually came home, which was few and far between, I would just be on the phone constantly. It didn't matter if I was on vacation. I mean, honestly, like I would get calls from Michael Hayes at, you know, 2 a.m. Hey, write this down, you know, because I'm like a writer's assistant. So he's like telling me, you know, what to write, uh, you know, little notes for Raw or whatever when I returned from Kansas City. But but anyway... (laughs) Dude, 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 but anyway so he um he stayed at my i have to tell you the story one time on here where he stayed at my parents house overnight it was fantastic michael hayes having coffee with my parents the next morning but uh that's a story i'll tell one day but uh so we ended up uh when i came back home i, I didn't watch wrestling i got back into sports broadcasting i ended up being an anchor sports reporter for a channel here in town um what ended up uh happening on the wrestling front though is that after a while, you know, uh, we're all like this. They get involved in wrestling in some form or fashion. It's just hard to, like, let it go completely. I still wanted to be involved in stuff. And so uh, they were starting to let some of the producer, reporter people like myself do long-form programming on Metro Sports. Metro Sports was a 24-hour sports channel owned by Time Warner Cable in Kansas City and the surrounding areas, And uh, it was a really cool channel. It allowed you to do, uh, you know, it was basically a blank slate for someone like me. I could go, I did a bunch of fun shows. I did a trivia show. I did um, sort of like a (laughs) hodgepodge, like variety show of some sort, sort of jackass, jackass-ish, but not completely that crazy, but sort of, it was just, I can't even explain it. It was called Miscellaneous. And I just was doing all these fun shows Uh, But then finally, uh, one of the kids there was working on a documentary about uh, the border war, which is Missouri versus Kansas in terms of sports. And uh, I was like, man, it'd be really cool to do a documentary on pro wrestling, just the Kansas City history. So I pitched that and they allowed me to do it. Uh, That was the that was the Casey on the mat. I do the documentary and um, we we have the debut in Memorial Hall. And, uh, you know, it, it went over really well. And my boss at the time said, do you think we could do this again? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Another documentary? No, wrestling. And I said, you mean like actually have wrestling shows? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think we probably could, you know. And um, the scene in Kansas City in 2009 was pretty sad. I mean, it, there wasn't really anything going on, honestly. There wasn't really even a company running as far as I know, as far as anything of note. Okay, I mean, there might be some total garbage indie stuff, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that you've ever heard of or anything like that. So when uh, he basically said, hey, you know, why don't uh, why don't we talk about it? So we had many talks and the talks basically boiled down to this, Gabe. Uh, The Time Warner Cable Company does not want to have the liability of a professional wrestling show on their on their books. So what it was going to have to be is that if I was going to do a wrestling show, I would have to have basically full autonomy of the wrestling show. No connection to Time Warner Cable, except that they would have cameras there shooting it. And, and we would, and then I would then take that video and I would edit it on the clock as part of my job, which was great, but, uh, they had nothing to do financially with the show or anything. It was basically, here's a time slot. Uh, they allowed me to have, uh, you know, it was, uh, 11 o'clock on Saturday nights, which at the time I thought it was cool. Cause that's basically what ECW was around the country, you know? Um, so, you know, we would have it on and it grew a cult following in Kansas city. It did really well. Uh, but anyway, before even we get to that, uh, we pitched it uh, because of Metro Sports, the name of the channel it was on. That's why it was called Metro Pro Wrestling. That's why we ended up going with the name like that. But uh, th- there was I, I needed some people around here that had done it before or had been involved in stuff to uh, to basically, you know, give me some understanding of how the independent wrestling world worked. And the only person I could find that had any kind of show in the last couple of years was this thing called Central States Wrestling, and I, I didn't know what it was. It was it wasn't currently running any shows, and I had emailed several times and got no response. But uh, and I don't really know how it ever came back to me. But I got an email from this guy named Joe McDonald, and at the time I had no idea who he was. Uh, he said that he had ran you know this company called Central States, and he was taking a break or whatever. I had heard stories, uh, that he was, he had gone to Hollywood to try to be an editor for, you know, some television shows out there or whatever, all these glorious stories. But, uh, but anyway, so I, I I said, yeah, here's the deal. And so I sort of told him, I'm like, here, I, I don't know any of the wrestlers around here. Um, you have a connection to some of these people. So can you help me out? You know, like, let's, let's do this together. And he was like, all in for it. Oh, he said he had a professional wrestling ring, Um, you know, he knew all the guys. I basically told him, here's the caveat. Um, it's called Metro pro wrestling. Uh, we are going to air, it's going to air at this time. Uh, I am going to be, uh, in creative control of everything. And, um, basically like, you know, I was in charge of the editing of television show. You know, that, you know, that, that was what, that was our first plans going into it.
0: So back up real quick. So central States wrestling was a company. Do you know, Um, because, well, I'm sure you probably do know, give the audience a little bit of background about the kind of business central States had done or was doing at the time when you first had your interaction with, uh, Joe McDonald.
1: Well, it it wasn't running at the time. So it's sort of hard for me to say, I had seen, uh, some video clips online, you know, YouTube was big then obviously still, that was the earlier years of it, um, I so, you didn't, so you didn't
0: know what kind of business they had done before they became defunct?
1: Not really. I mean okay. only I could only base it on like videos that I I saw like in some of the clips I saw. They they were running some kind of warehouse somewhere. Um it didn't really I thought the production was uh mediocre, you know, but I but I it wasn't like uh but it was an indie wrestling show. It wasn't like any worse than anything else I had seen, right? right. Um so, so uh so no, I mean
0: because I'm I'm just trying to build like you know in my mind because i don't know a lot about the central states territory or you know the territory out here what were the big promotions kind of leading into the 2000s because i i've heard from a lot of the wrestlers that were around then that you could fart on a sign and say pro wrestling here tonight and people would come in droves sure. at a certain point so that's why i'm trying to figure out like okay was there any big promotions though at all even leading up to you returning to Kansas City
1: there wasn't i honestly okay. think this is I told you this when when you were starting Journey Pro and and, and Strider now doing his version of Central States. It's like um, when when Metro Pro started, it was probably I would have to say it had to been one of the worst eras of like indie wrestling as far mm-hmm. as. What was happening just nationally? Not really, you know. I'm not saying there was nothing, but it was. Uh, you're talking to like the from 2005 to 2010. Like who was huge? You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, you know, this is before evolve. Uh, Ring of Honor was uh, starting around probably in you know, their
0: heyday, close may, to yeah. their heyday.
1: But that, but what's underneath that? You know, now you could say, oh, GCW, or you know, uh, you know, there's spotty ones here and there. But there wasn't like huge com- you know, nationally known companies or anything. So uh, it was, it was just a bad time in wrestling. You know, when you go mm-hmm. back, it's not like uh, 2006 through 2009 was like breaking any records. They weren't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so. You know, I had no, the one you're talking about is when people were like, you know, you could put wrestling on a sign and fill the, you know, St. Joe Civic Center or whatever. That was happening like 98, 99, okay. 2000, 2001, 2002, like the, the attitude era. That was, yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. it, it mimics what's happening during the national scene, Team. mimics the independent scene, whatever, yeah. you know. It's like, uh, I mean, Steve Ward, I've heard, you know, Strider talks about him. I've never really met him face to face, I don't believe. But he was a big promoter that had huge shows back then. But And this is not a knock on him everyone said you just say wrestling i mean Str- michael strider will tell you stories about in like the late 90s or early 2000s and when it was so popular that you could just say there was wrestling and like he was green as grass and he's in the main event against someone else that's not exactly mr known and uh, they can like fill like a thousand seats no problem or, or more you know 2000 whatever wow and that's just i mean but you know that was the hottest uh, level of wrestling yeah in our lifetime any yeah especially in our lifetime i I, you know you you can go argue like oh well you know they had some huge tolos and all these people had huge shows whatever i i'm not saying it's ever but it's in our lifetime sure
0: so so you meet joe mcdonald csw had been defunct for a while so having creative control being able to say like this is this because you had written for the wwe or WWF you knew you knew exactly how to structure a show how to format things you needed joe mcdonald's connections to uh to the local scene to help kind of get things up and going so how how does this progress into metro pro
1: i started having meetings with joe mcdonald and joe mcdonald was uh coming over to my house, we'd have sessions like you know, a couple two few few times a week, you know, just talking about our roster, some of the ideas. Pitch me some ideas for tag teams, or you know, like you know, I was taking I was taking uh you know some thoughts from him, but I will say, and he and I know he didn't take kindly to this because here I was, Mr. Big Shot coming in, right, and telling how it's gonna be. But to be honest with you, uh, you know, this was sort of on me because I had to sell this hardcore to my my television station and you know i a lot of this was writing on a lot of things so i had to be pretty much in charge of it you know so um joe i was definitely using him because he knew a lot of people around here and i'll give him credit for that all day long um i don't necessarily remember any kind of uh you know he there were some things that central states had done and i i don't I don't quote me on this but I think it was like 2008 maybe they had their last show you know so it wasn't okay. too far in the past but it right. was like but there were people that were we were sort of uh using some old gimmicks that they were using in Central states you know some of the old Jeremy Wyatt was a virtual unknown at the time you know he was like a mid card guy you know he wasn't unknown but he was uh, he wasn't the Jeremy Wyatt we grew to new to love uh but like uh you know we had uh gosh the Tyler Cook uh Showtime Bradley Charles um You know, there was a a bunch of people that were in that group that were front that had wrestled in central states. And that was, again, why Joe was valuable to me, because he could tell me this. And so we would have all these meetings and talk about creative, talk about gimmicks and then uh, starting to talk to the talent about, hey, do you want to be a part of this? And. You know, of course, most of them were elated because there wasn't any, uh, there weren't any real shows running in the Kansas City area. And I got a lot. You know, Derek Stone was a big name. He was a big Central States guy, and he was living in Colorado at the time, and he had a whole carload of guys that eventually, like, Hoodie and people like that were coming over with him. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that we've known now in Central States and stuff, we ended up uh, uh, meeting through these carloads that would be coming in from Iowa, Colorado, Texas, St. Louis, and... um yeah, that was that was how we got the roster sorted together is me and him brain uh, you know sort of throwing our our brains in the air and seeing what, what we could do.
0: So for those that don't know what logistically speaking light so we have the cameras coming, right? We have the cameras coming from uh, Metro Sports. Yes. So logistically lights, curtains, ring, who financed that? Who like because a lot of people don't understand how expensive starting a wrestling company can truly be.
1: So the financing was going to be, uh, the actual show was me. Uh, I was, uh, so, so let, let's start out. I am speaking too fast because the first show that we decided to run was uh, a show that was our first show ever was at the Memorial hall in Kansas city, Kansas. And I thought, uh, awesome. It's really cool to run in this, uh, historical venue, uh, you know, it's not in the best part of town. The parking sucks. There's a lot of stuff that's not great about it, but the building itself is really cool for wrestling. And it's a really ornate building that they would never build today. Cause they, it's way too much marble and niceness to it. It would be, you know, it would be metal and uh, wood now, but, uh, it's, uh, it's an awesome building if you've never been there and it's got so much history in it. So we wanted to run there and it was really cool. Uh, Joe McDonald was working sort of part-time helping, Uh, promote like some music shows and stuff like that with this other guy who sort of had the rights to run it. And his name was Joe Kelly and Joe Kelly uh, is a known like MMA promoter. And he was a real wrestling fan too. So Joe Kelly, Joe McDonald and I would have meetings about having it at Memorial hall. Now at a point, Joe Kelly got involved as sort of like a, a third partner at the time for this first show at the very least, because you know here he was, he had the connections to this historical venue. He was explaining to me what he could get uh, as far as you know what really the worst part about renting out something like Memorial Hall is a obviously the cost is high just for rental, but you know, a lot of things require uh staffing, like pe- they require a certain amount of off duty cops and a certain amount of people to clean, and you have all the concession people and blah blah blah. You know, some of this stuff is a little bit more uh, I, I can't remember exactly if it was union or not, but there was some of that, it felt like that we had to use some of their people. People And not just, you know, mom and dad, you know, or whatever. So um, so we were and it was building up. And so there was if you go back, you can go look in uh, in you know, the observer covered us. I did an interview for them because I interviewed about Casey on the mat. And if you go back, they covered this inaugural show because it seemed uh, like a big deal, you know, like, uh, because like I said, there wasn't a ton of stuff going on in the country. Like that was huge, huge. And I'm not saying this was, you know, I don't want to overstate what it was, but it did get coverage. And, um, we started, uh, you know, Joe and me, and we were all just spitballing like some of the names we would like to bring in. And, uh, some of the names that did start coming in with Trevor Murdoch, he lived around here. Um, Tommy Dreamer was a favorite of ours from ECW. And, you know, obviously he's still very relevant in 2009-10. Uh, so he, he was going to come in. And then there was this guy that I had never met before, but I had heard of him named Dave Marquez, who uh, Joe McDonald was working with, supposedly told me that he was going to fly in with uh, the NWA world champion scrap iron Adam Pierce. And they were coming to the show because at the time we were going to be affiliated with the NWA, okay, which is a wild west. The NWA. Dave Marquez did a lot of great stuff with the NWA. You know, it was a, yeah. Ed Schumann, who was a sort of a Midwest NWA promoter, he had passed away, and so Dave was coming in and sort of sort of overseeing this this show sort of as a representative of the board of the NWA because we were going to use them. Uh, We would get, there was reasons for the using the name NWA. You would get, you would have to, you would have access to their insurance. You would have access to their championships. Um, So there, you know, there was some, there was some cool stuff. So they came, what I was told by Joe McDonald was they were coming in for free. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's, and I was like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So um, I thought that was cool. Like that was very magnanimous, magnanimous of them. You know, I was like, uh, why would they do that? I don't know. I've never met these people, but they were going to come in. Another meeting I want to tell you about was uh one of the main people and I think Joe said this a uh, main person you have to try to get is this guy named Michael Strider. So I'd never met this guy. So I set up a meeting at the Applebees in Raytown on 350. I'm sure you eat there all the time. And uh he uh i met him and i can't remember if his wife lily was there or not um but the worst restaurants
0: ever ever applebee's as as in general just it's
1: it's horrible but but it was like the easiest place uh, because i worked in raytown at the time so we met there and we chatted and uh, i met him for the first time and he was very guarded and very had a lot of questions and uh didn't really sell very much you know he was he as we know michael strider uh today it's very odd because he was very cool calm and collected and played it like a, you know like he showed no emotion during any of this really uh but uh, he's grown to been, be one of my best friends but at the time i was just learning about him and uh he was explaining to me his thoughts and what he wanted he had sort of like not really retired but he hadn't really wrestled much he was starting to sort of slow down as far as going like national trips or whatever so uh but we we got him on board and he was very excited to be a part of that so um you know he that was a, that was a big get locally and a lot of people like Michael Strider and um so he was uh, that was a great addition so we were all building up to this June 2010 an- inaugural show in uh, Memorial
0: Hall so here we are we're building towards the first show now you've only got Michael Strider kind of quote unquote signed on the dotted line I got to ask you, Chris, in your in your experience, when you're putting together this show, you're running Memorial Hall, you're getting this coverage. Did you think in the back of your mind, was there some guys on your bucket list that, you know, through your WWF contacts that maybe you were hoping to reach out to and get for this show?
1: Well, like I said, like I said earlier, like uh, Trevor Murdoch, it was not in the company uh, anymore, meaning WWF. Or TNA, I don't think, at that time. I'm not sure. He had he had gone on to TNA to be a different kind of <laughs> Trevor Murdoch person. If it was something holiday or so, I forget his name, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I don't um remember. he was uh, he was in that for a while, but he's living a couple hours away, you know. And I I was always a big Trevor Murdoch fan. I thought he looked unique, he had a unique uh character. And so I thought, oh, he's perfect for a Missouri baby face. Okay. He was, um, so I wanted Trevor Murdoch to be involved cause he was close. He was a Harley guy trained by Harley race, lived in Missouri. Uh, he was a, sort of a no brainer. Um, like I said, Derek stone, uh, I got to meet him. There was a lot of connections with Colorado coming in. Um, you know, that first show, there was a guy named Paul diamond, but not the Paul diamond that, you know, <laughs> from wrestling lore, another guy named Paul diamond, uh, you know, there was a uh, Dustin, uh, Uric, um, that, you know, there was a tag team over there. There was, uh, there were people coming from all over the Midwest and it was cool because, um, you know, some of the people involved like a Michael Strider, whatever, knew th- some of these guys, um, there was a lot of buzz, you know, I, th- it's just, it was just different then. it was, a, a it was different than today's uh, environment. It was different than even as Metro closed in 2016, it was just, uh, in 2009 10 there was just a real void i thought I, there wasn't much here and that wasn't what i was trying to fulfill when i started this it was just basically the facts when i was getting into it uh there was really nothing going on so um this show had uh like i said tommy dreamer was a big get and that you know i loved ecw as you did as well and you know i just i loved uh, any any you know ecw to any degree Uh, anyone involved in that would have been great. And Tommy dreamer was at the top of the list. He was Mr. ECW. Uh, you know, he was also uh, not asking for the entire house, you know, (laughs) like he, there was other people that you could have tried to get like an RVD or somebody like that. But I mean, he was in and out of contracts. I don't remember exactly. He was fully in WWE at that time. How many people weren't, were able to even get from that era? You know, that was one thing. Um, but, uh, Tommy dreamer was, was, procured. He was coming. Trevor was coming. I had a bunch of other guys to fill out the bottom, uh, middle and bottom of the card. And, um, like I said, Adam Pierce and Dave Marquez were coming as well. So in my opinion, marquee wise, we had, uh, Tommy dreamer followed by, uh, Trevor Murdoch and then Adam Pierce, the NWA world's champion. And then uh, a lot of guys from the local area that we were trying to, you know, cherry pick who we thought were the best around the Midwest, uh, that were available to us. So, you know, the card was coming together fine, you know, and, and going and planning to try to do a show, uh, for the first time, a television taping, all the gear was provided by Metro sports. I did not have to rent or pay any of that. Um, I did pay camera guys to come there. Um, I had some, and that very first show at Memorial hall, I had some, like some of the guys that shot a lot of the, you know, chiefs games and stuff like that. They were very well, uh, well-traveled camera guys. So we had some like top end guys, Um, I had a light crew there. Uh, there was just a a lot of production in that first show. Um,
0: so when you, when when you look, go ahead. When you're structuring the show and thinking about, again, the hype, the people that you got on board, all that kind of stuff. Did you guys start developing early on like a trajectory for the company? So were you thinking, all right, you know, Metro or, you know, the, this, the sports network is the first stop and then eventually we would like to do X, Y, and Z, or is it just kind of like, let's handle this show and see where it goes after that?
1: Well, what we wanted to do on this first show is I wanted to get four shows out of one. And you know, it was a lot of, uh, I think Gabe at that point with my lack of, uh, sort of experience on the independent level and shooting for television. It was sort of like, let's see how this first show goes. We're going to get four one hour shows out of it. I'll get that on Metro sports as soon as I can edit it and put it together. And then hopefully we can continue this along forward. Uh, You know, I, I didn't know at the time and looking back, I was naive to think like that. I understood everything that was going into it financially because I was being told, different things. So I was told that we had to sell 254 tickets to break even on this show. And, uh, that sounds really low, uh, really at the, you know, considering the, the names on the card and where we were and all this stuff, but, uh I didn't really understand if two fifty four was great or horrible for a show of this of this level at that time. You know, again, I, I wasn't really an independent wrestling guy. So I had gone to a couple shows, I would say. Uh one was a Harley show, one was another show over in St. Louis, and they definitely didn't draw two hundred and fifty four people. So I wasn't uh I, I thought two fifty four sounded like a pretty good house for uh something that was brand new. Um so, you know, looking back, that was really low. You know, I, I I thought I would have hoped we would have gotten way more than that. But um, that was what we were shooting for. That was to break even point. Uh, we had some sponsors that I was told and all of this stuff. And so I was sort of out of the business side of it at that point. You know, I was more the production guy, the, the guy setting up the creative, the going over the stuff with the guys, you know, making the matches, doing the storylines, working with the talent. Um, I was hoping really, honestly, at that point, I wasn't going to have to deal with, uh, the day-to-day financial stuff because I had these other two guys that, you know, it's, uh, I would, and like I said, I basically said I was going to do the creative. So what are you guys going to do? You know, the logistics is basically what they were going to do. So, um, that's where we were and we come to the show. And, uh, I think the overriding idea of most people from that first show is like, holy God, it's the longest show in the history of the world. That was what happened that night it was in June of 2010. Uh, like I said, we were shooting for four hours of television, uh, timing out a show wasn't my or anyone else's forte at the time. And, uh, didn't really, you know, wasn't really going hard times really because it was, uh, you know, I could edit it however I wanted, and I wasn't you weren't we weren't live, and you know, I didn't know what all we were going to be taking out or editing in or whatever. But, um, it did take forever. I mean, it was literally like a four hour show, and I mean, I know that's commonplace for AEW now or now, or all the stuff that they do at WWE when they do like four shows in a row, or whatever. But man, it was a it was brutal, and by the end of that night, everyone was tired, I mean, including the fans, so it was. But it was a learning experience, and anyone that was there for that very first show would uh, would remember that it was, uh, a, although it was a marathon, I, I thought it ended up being very fun.
0: So how many people did you draw that night?
1: Well, so I was told we definitely hit 254, so I was happy about that. And so anything over the top of that, again, I wasn't in this for the money. I don't think if you get into independent wrestling for the money, even then I knew like you're crazy. I mean, you're not going to make any real money doing independent wrestling. I mean, maybe enough to pay if you can live well, uh, on very little, you know, I, I look, I, I'm sure there's some promoters out there that will tell you that they live like Kings and they draw and make so much money off independent wrestling. I, I'm not saying it's not possible if you throw your entire life into it, but this was definitely a side thing for me. uh, And so I wasn't looking at it for the money. So, uh, as long as we were, as long as we, yes, I know. Well, I was told that by many anyway, but as I get, I was going into this as a hobby and I was going into it to have fun and I was going into it not to lose money. That's what I went into it with. So, uh, you know, I had heard we broke even, so I'm like, great. That I'm like, I'm done sweating this out because you know, of course, I don't want to lose my family's money on this show or whatever. So, um, you know, it, we did hit that. I want to say we were between 250 and 300. I mean, it wasn't much over 254, but uh, that's what you know. I I was told that night we had hit that, and so we were good. Chris, um, that-
0: Chris, you you obviously didn't learn the most important rule of promoter tactics. You didn't just hit 254. It was sold out, packed to the rafters. There was at least 500 people there.
1: Yeah. Promoter math wasn't my forte at that time. (laughs) I I could have said it was seven, eight, nine hundred people, but it it, it was definitely
0: 900. I heard, I just saw it on a PWI.
1: Now that I remember it it was like a (laughs) thousand. That's right. I I want to say it was at most it was 300 and that was a lot of family and friends. And there was a lot of stuff like that going on. So, you know, again, first foray. I was sort of, I was sort of leaning on the likes of Joe Kelly and Joe McDonald to get some sponsorship money, to get, to understand how to market this stuff. I, I did not understand what I was doing at that time. So that was why they were helpful for me at that point. But, uh, the show went well, uh, it was a, a marathon again. I understand everyone's like, God, it was so long. I get it. People listening to this that were there. I, it was very long, but, um, you know, dreamer had a great night, uh, Murdoch strider bled, of course, big shock, and uh, you know Marquez and Pierce were there. We had it. We had a lot of cool stuff that day, and the production was very good. The lighting looked great. The building's awesome. It was a very cool show.
0: Can, uh, can like I can I be honest with you? It sounds like a little bit low of a draw, and I'm not saying that it was to, to spite what you guys did or or your creative process. But a return to more Memorial Hall with those names. Why don't you think it drew better?
1: I'm just telling, dude. The only thing I can. The only th- the the two things I would say is marketing. I did not understand at that time. Promoting on uh, to a, to a local level like that, I did not understand. Okay. Again, I I don't want to sit here and and blame it all on Joe Kelly and Joe McDonald because, um, I could because I don't know what I was doing and they supposedly did so I and they were sort of in charge of that. I did not market anything. I would help work on a website a little bit. Joe McDonald was doing a lot of that at that time, and uh, you know, I was I was basically my role was TV and creative. That was it. So, um, I don't know why I didn't draw better but I will also say, and this is hard to believe because with Metro pro at the end of that, and you coming in during NWL and then, you know, journey pro and central States doing well. Now it's very, it's like, God, that's really low. You know, we just had a show, you know, last month, central States drew 400 with no names or whatever, but that wasn't the case in 2010 game. I mean, that you have to understand the times, like sure, there wasn't a lot of wrestling was pretty damn cold then. And it wasn't. And again, there wasn't a, lot of, um, you know, I think people lose perspective on Kansas city. Now, if you're in the independent scene, uh, before Metro pro got pretty hot in like the mid 2010s or whatever, it was, uh, the scene here was cold as hell and it wasn't, it, it was purely because of inactivity and just, you know, like nothing going on. That's part of it. Secondly, wrestling was cold too. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that, but it is looking back, horrible draw.
0: Would you also say that, because obviously I didn't live here at that time, but from folks that I know that did live here, downtown Kansas City, for an exa- for example, was a lot different than it is now, according to those that were here. Sure. This town, this town as a whole was a lot different. Do you think that had something to do with it? Kansas City was kind of dead as a city?
1: Yeah, that was before it was sort of predating like P and L right. and, uh, you know, the sprint center, you know, I don't even remember what year that went in there, but Kansas city wasn't definitely, uh, it is Kansas city is, has risen through the ranks in the last decade since all this happened. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it was probably right around when sprint center was built. Actually. I I'm trying to remember how long it's been so long since that's been built, but, um, you know, I, it, I just, it was all, it was very cold, and I guess we did a poor job promoting it and marketing it. I, I okay. don't really know, but yes, two fifty four with the people on that card. Looking back, what I know now, horrible it was. Right.
0: So here we are. We're after the second show, or we're we're done with the first show. It's a marathon, as you said. You know. Uh, How was it putting together that first four episodes of TV? Did you feel like you were onto something when you're editing these episodes, getting ready to push them forward to uh, Metro sports? And did it also reinvigorate your desire to start? Okay, well, this is going well. Let's do some more shows.
1: Yeah. So uh, after the night, um, you know, and everybody's getting paid up by Joe Kelly upstairs. And I made sure obviously Dreamer was paid and like, you know, everything was seen cool. Right. So uh, at that point, um, let me take you to that day. Okay. So okay. that night was cool. Uh, it, like I said, it was long, everybody's dead tired, but it was my first foray into this sort of a live broadcast, uh, you know, live to tape broadcast of wrestling. And, uh, we had a good time. Uh, like I said, I was sweating it out. Like, didn't want to lose money that I think <laughs> as anyone should be, you're scared to death of losing uh, your money and going back to your family and being like, Oh yeah, I owe thousands or whatever. Um, I was scared of that. And frankly, I wouldn't have booked uh, any big names if I thought that was going to be an issue. But I was sort of told by uh, Joe Kelly and Joe McDonald that they could cover it with some sponsors. And, you know, he was getting a great deal on the building because he was helping book the building at the time. So, you know, this is all going to be covered and everything's cool. And I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I I can only go with what they're telling me. You know, I'm not privy to the books at that point. I know this all seems very weird based on like what i ended up doing later but i just i didn't really i that was not my uh my my bag you know so i was like whatever okay cool and then when they told me we broke even i was happy as hell so you know i thought it went well uh, i was looking at the tapes that night and uh and it was on uh, it wasn't even on sd card at that point we were on uh, mini dv tapes and um and even like bigger dvc tapes and uh they look great i mean the the, the lighting look great the um you know, I, the music, uh, the music I was using was uh, a bunch of like tracks that I was getting off of, uh, you know CDs that I had at the television station for uh, you know we went through that that was a fun process uh, very unlike uh, N.W.L. where major was asking people to actually sing uh, songs specifically for people we were going through just random like you know tracks of music that we had that I had I had access to like a couple hundred CDs of like just generic songs I'm trying to match it up with the g- gimmick as much as we could that's uh, adding that's pretty fun <laughs> it was it was fun I mean it was I, that was actually really fun and so. Uh, uh, side note, funny thing is on those CDs, I heard this song and I'm like, well, I've heard this before and, uh, but it, well, I could use it on the show, but I've heard it before. What is it? It was the Hardy Boys music, which is why uh, people can use the Hardy Boys music anywhere because it was a generic track of one of these CDs that's just like you can, <laughs> you can get at awesome. any television station. So, every once in a while, I'll hear a commercial and some random commercial in the middle of the night and it's the Hardy Boys theme and I'm like, that's from that freaking CD. They, that was not a Jim Johnson special. But, uh, oh, so I uh, everything was cool. So, the next day or the next day after that, then ne- one or two days following that, I get a call from Joe McDonald and Joe Kelly, who were friends going into this, and I did not know them at all except you know, working on this project with them. But they were friends, like I said, Joe McDonald worked part time with Joe Kelly at the Memorial Hall helping promote stuff. You know, another side note, Joe McDonald. Previous to this show, I'm pretty sure this is correct. He had booked sort of an unknown guy in America at Memorial Hall for a concert that he thought was going to be huge, and I, I'm pretty sure he lost his butt on it. But that guy ended up being Pitbull. Oh <laughs> wow! This is like pre-Pitbull being superstar. Okay, this is like wow. this is like uh, Joe McDonald. To his credit, he wanted to uh, promote. Pitbull to the largely Hispanic audience that lives around yeah, yeah. Uh, Memorial hall. So, um, yeah. And I was like, is, who's Pitbull? Who the hell's Pitbull? You know, like it's <laughs> so now it's course it's crazy, but, um, I don't think it did well. Cause it just, maybe it was bad marketing. Maybe just obviously sort of too underground at the time. I don't know. But, um, so I get a call and, um, they tell me, Hey, we were actually wrong. Um, you know, we, we didn't break even um, we're actually, uh, $6,000 in the hole. So I'm going to need you to write a check for like two, $3,000. <laughs> okay. This is what he's telling me two days after the show. Right. And I'm like, uh, what, uh, you know? And he's like, yeah, you know, sorry. Like, I'm like, how could you guys be so wrong that we're $6,000 in the hole after you told me two days ago, we're clear. And like, yeah, I know. Like we had just, some other charges we didn't know about and they're making us pay this and that and all this. And I'm like, um, sorry, dude, this is, this, <laughs> this isn't going to happen. You know, I'm not going to pay you, uh, $2,000 you guys, you know, I'm starting to get hot. You know I mean? This is basically, I feel lied to, uh, what kind of scam are they running on me here? Uh, I had gotten to know Joe McDonald pretty well on a personal level, came to my house a couple times with his children and wife. And, uh, I just thought this was, you know, I didn't know where this was coming from. Uh, I don't know what, you know, I had a major issue with this whole thing. Um, so I basically told them that I wasn't paying them Jack and, uh, I had already done what, you know, I was told, uh, that I was clear and, uh, and my wife at the time had her own legal practice. And I was like, if you, you know, I, I would, I, if you guys have any issues with this and you're going to do anything, I will sue you guys for fraud because that's the way this was. I'm not getting in all the details with you about this, but this is, this is basically what it came down to is that they were trying to extort two or $3,000 out of me. And I was like, could not, I mean, it was, it was just a shock Gabe, because again, this is, uh, I'm Mr. Naive. I'm coming into a situation where I didn't really understand that this was going to be, you know, I, man, I had had a lot of like hard life lessons up to that point, just in the corporate world, but I had not really dealt with this level of sort of BS. So I, it infuriated me, man. And, um, I uh, I basically said we're done. Uh, I'm keeping the show on Metro Sports. Uh, it's still called Metro Pro Wrestling. I, I own everything. I own the logo, the LLC, all the stuff. So, uh, I don't want to do it at Memorial Hall anymore. And, um, you know, I'm going to find a new venue. And, you uh, And one thing leading up to this too, Gabe is that, you know, Joe McDonald had told me that he owned a professional wrestling ring and that that was one of the things he's bringing to the table. I'm like, great. You know, like we already have that check, check that off the list. Let's move on. And so what ended up happening prior to that first show is I found out that Joe really didn't have any wrestling ring at all. And, uh, so we had to buy a new one and it was manufactured here in Kansas city. It wasn't a high spots ring. It was Kansas. It was a guy that ended up sort of helping me out as I went down the line with Metro sports or Metro pro. His name was Martin Thomas. He worked for a, a company that uh, Strider and his wife worked for as well. That sort of did wrestling rings, boxing rings, stuff like that, mostly boxing. So they had to make a sort of refit it and make it a wrestling, uh, ring. I think (laughs) I talked to the regal twins and they're like, man, that's the hardest ring in the world. You know, they, a lot of people say that about the Metro pro ring, but, uh, I had, uh, I had paid a third of it and Joe had paid two thirds of it. I mean, because at this point I found out he was lying about having a wrestling ring and I'm like, but we have a show, so we have to buy a freaking ring now. So I had to pay for part of it. So, um, After the fallout with the financial stuff, uh, I was like, um, you know, you're going to sell me the ring, you know, basically. And and Joe was being real quiet. He was trying to act like he had nothing to do with this. And he was he started telling me, like, Joe Kelly had lied to him and all this stuff. And I'm like, look, dude. Uh, I feel super betrayed by you. You're the one calling me up and I won three grand or whatever. So I was like, no. So I, I basically at that point severed all ties, told all the talent that this is what happened. Just buried both of them because I was just like, I was not, I, I was just trying to put the show on man. And you're like, hold me up for money. Um, you know, if, and, and the stuff that they were trying to hold me up with were all stuff they knew about had nothing to do with anything I did at all. Uh, so, you know, uh, it was done. It was essentially done, and I remember people st- after the first show, there was articles coming out, probably fed by those guys or somebody from the show, that said uh, "one and done." Metro Pro Wrestling had their first show, and this kid is over. You know, it was <laughs> like great, um, but uh, that's not what was going to happen. I wanted to continue to have the show, and so I I started, f- dude. As you know, later on with NWL uh-huh. and Journey Pro for you, I had to find a new venue. And what a uh, pain in the ass it is finding a venue for independent wrestling is horrible. I mean, horrible. anyone out there that wants to run a show or has ever been uh, dealing with this, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, most, most companies or most, you know, most Halls that would be good enough to have a wrestling show in, think either Don't a want <laughs> professional wrestling's horrible. B we've been burned by somebody else. I mean yep. most of the places yep. that I went to here in Kansas City, someone else had already burned them. Yep. And uh, you know, blah 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 blah. So Man, it, it took me a while, but I finally, I finally found our, our home that we we're going to be at for the remainder of the time. It was Turner Rec Center, which I love that building, and it's like a, it's a school owned building by the school district of Turner in Kansas. But uh, it was it was so perfect for what it's we. A great were Great building, great and, venue. Um, and we were able to make that our home for the next you know five six years. But um, <laughs> I I had to meet up with uh, Joe McDonald's wife to buy the wrestling ring. Uh, because he apparently was too spineless to meet up with me to buy. I, he was probably against it, but I, as I found out later, it was basically his wife had put up the money, not him. So I uh, met up with his wife and bought the ring from her and, uh, got it loaded and ended up, uh, had to buy a trailer and you know, uh, the, the, the life of an independent wrestling promoter had begun and, uh, it wasn't necessarily, I, you know, it's not the most glorious thing in the world, but, uh. But that was my uh, education and one and done show with two partners. And I decided, much like most things in life, you're going to do it, you have to do it yourself. You're going to do it right. And uh, so then we started uh, running shows in September. Now we had missed a couple months. You know, we were going to make this a monthly thing. So we went from June. July and August, I'm editing the show. Uh, I really was editing the show, but I wasn't flipping it right away because I wanted to make sure we had a new venue for our next, you know, to continue the shows. So once I procured uh, Turner Rec Center, I was like, okay, now I can start editing and airing these shows. Basically in about, you know, August or so that uh, we started airing shows. So it would spin right into our next set of shows that we would have at our next taping at Turner
0: Rec Center. So when you when you, so you're coming out of this first show, you get this this horrible news about you know the bookkeeping error in in, in favor of the yeah, bank in, yeah. in lieu of uh, six thousand dollars things fall apart between you and your business partners. So you decide to pick up the ball and do everything yourself. You find a new venue, all that good stuff. Tell me, like, first of all, how was the ratings when the when the when you finally you know get the show to air? You found the new venue. How was the ratings, and how did that affect? Uh, your driver resolve are, are you are you starting to think more about creating now an episodic type of television show or are you just going to shoot an indie show and turn it into four uh you know four hours or three hours per show
1: yeah so uh the ratings for metro pro wrestling because we promoted it a lot just going into it um know the only thing that we're sort of held back in is a metro sports is only was only on time warner cable comcast and some little outlier cable stations like in lawrence it was on sunflower cable this is this is pre pre pre-streaming pre yeah you know now you know time warner Cable is not even around anymore it's spectrum by owned by charter so blah 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 but at the time this that was what was holding us back but we did get numbers Based on the boxes that were flipped on to the channels for every show, and so the uh, Metro Pro Wrestling was airing at 11 p.m. on Saturdays. 10 o'clock on Saturdays, we had our new show. It repeated at 10:30, and then it went straight into wrestling. And um, that uh, it was it was one of our highest rated shows of the week. Uh, It was thousands of people watching Metro pro wrestling. Wow. Um, And this is again, before all the, the cord cutting, you know, so it's right. It's uh, it's a different world then. But, um, you know, I mean, of course, when we were seeing the numbers of it, we were like, man, if we could just get us, you know, 10% of these people to show up, we'd have a huge house every time, you know, but it was like, you know, that's just not how it works. People like to watch it on TV and not actually go buy a ticket. I can completely understand. So um, that was doing well. As far as uh, the show itself, From day one, I wanted this to be episodic. It was going to be storylines. I was going to do a lot of backstage interviews and segments, little, you know, beat-ups in the parking lots, like, you know, stuff in the hallways, stuff like that, mixed in with, you know, bringing in our normal crew with some mixing in some new blood every once in a while, just with someone from Colorado or someone that could come in and put somebody over or whatever. Um, You know, that was what we were going to do. And it was, we, we specifically had going into every show. I was using formats from when I worked at raw. So I'm going through and sort of basically putting segments together that way. And uh, you know, those first shows at turn rack were, it was hard, you know, it was hard to start over again. You know, it was like, I wasn't drawn to even 250, 300 people in those first shows at Turner, you know, we're talking 150, you know, or something. And a lot of those are the diehards that are still going to every show now, you know, in Kansas city. So, um, that was, that was, yeah, (laughs) Deb, Debbie and Tim Schmidling and then retro Rick. And I mean, there's a lot of people. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, they were all fun. Uh, I did get a lot of help in the early years from guys from St. Louis, uh, uh Jim and crystal yount. Uh, they ran uh dynamo pro over there. Okay. And they did help me, uh, when to get this sort of off the ground. I want to give them credit. Martin Thomas. He was another guy that helped me early on friends with Strider, got to know him. Well, he was another good dude that, I mean, was just doing it out of the, you know, goodness of his heart, no pay, uh, promised or anything. Right. So, um, again, they, they helped me sort of learn the ropes. I had been, you know, I had bad taste in my mouth after the first show, uh, but I wasn't going to let, you know, I was determined not to let it die just because they lied to me about that first show. You know, I just wanted to continue it on. Um, so Anyway, uh, we, we, we would shoot the same way we'd shoot four weeks of television and basically my turnaround time was only another week or two after the show itself. You know, it was, it was a grind. Um, I had to like basically stay on top of that for, and we had a show every month, you know, and um, every once in a while we'd have a best of show where I'd do like uh, all the best matches of Tyler Cook, Jeremy Wyatt, you know, and I'd have one time I had Jeremy Wyatt come in and do like a, he'd sit down with me and he'd, he'd uh, do some on cams with us, you know, sort of throwing the matches and stuff. And it was fun to do that kind of stuff. I had full access to a television studio that I worked at, that I was getting paid to edit this wrestling show on. So it was uh, it was a, it was a fun deal.
0: So the local guys that you brought in for that first show at Memorial Hall, you built a relationship with them based on that first show, because like you said, you had been out of the indie scene for a long time. When do you think it was they really started seeing something special in Metro Pro? Or when did you start seeing that the audience was starting to grow both on the television and live?
1: So, um, I think as any indie promoter will tell you, like you first, your first shirt that you make for your company is the company logo shirt, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, On, on black, on black. And, uh, so, uh, I would, I made a bunch of Metro pro, um, wrestling shirts and my friend Seth mates back from my good friend from WWF. He's the one that designed the Metro pro logo. And, um, so I put that on a shirt and, it was interesting. I would see people out and about in Kansas City wearing these shirts very randomly, but it sure. was just they stood out, you know, and uh, you I could see that easily and uh, Metro Sports was still a very good viable channel, you know, and still to this day, not wrestling related. If I tell people like, yeah, I was on Don't I know you they'd come by the winery now or whatever and I'm like, yeah, it was on a, I was on Metro Sports for like 15 years and they were like, oh yeah, yeah. I love that channel back then, you know, like Metro Pro or Metro Sports still exists in a in a It's called Spectrum Sports now, and it's a shell of its former self. But back. Uh, I mean to tell you, like, this was local cable sports channel that was basically a loss leader for Time Warner Cable. And people were, you know, you'd tell people like, hey, if you sign up with us, you get this channel called Metro Sports and you can watch your kids play sports. We have game of the week, high school football and basketball, and even track and baseball. And uh, we do uh, every Friday night, we did a high school sports roundup show, you know, where we do all these highlights from 30 football games and And then during the week, we would cover, you know, Royals, Chiefs, and the local colleges, Mizzou, K-State, KU, all that. So it was, um, for a sports junkie, it was great for a local channel. And uh, so that's why everyone would see this wrestling show come on. And, of course, I got a lot of people telling me this reminded me of, like, you know, the old days of Memorial Hall and, like, local wrestling. I love it and all that. Um, I got a lot of that just feedback at the television station through emails and stuff like that. Um, the, sh- the, the crowd itself was, was a steady climb, you know, like, uh, I get jealous of like the journey pros in the current central States now, because, uh, they were sort of like put in a situation where the cultivation of the fan base of wrestling and independent wrestling has sort of been built over the last 15 years or whatever. And like, they didn't necessarily have to start with, you know, begging a hundred people to come to a show. Cause right. that was just really hard. Um, it was just different um, well don't
0: forget kcxw also laid the groundwork Chris who <laughs> anyway um
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they kcxw for people that don't know it's a it's 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 a like a school <laughs> that has shows and they started having shows like right down the street from Turner Rec which I mean at Soc- like, an soccer annoying.
0: Nation correct. I think they're still there
1: are they? Yeah. Yes. It was like yeah. an annoying fly that it was like, whatever. Anyway. Um, they, uh, it was just, it was just Turner wreck ended up being like a great the, the lady that was sort of in charge of booking that building and was in charge in general, of the building and the staff, she was great. I had a great, uh, rent rental fee there. It was great. I was offsetting that by splitting the uh, concessions with them. And, um, you know, I, I, it just, a it was just a really cool building. Uh, it allowed us to have a lot of uh, space for guys to have locker rooms upstairs and uh, you know, Metro pro would have not, not been nearly as good without that building. That was another thing that I loved about it. Um, you got to go there at least once I know, but it's just a real fun, fun place. And, well, we uh, did the,
0: we did the one NWL show there that you weren't there for that, okay. that me and Jackson kind of ran De facto, because Major wasn't there either, and that was one hell of a night. Let me tell you that. That's. I don't remember
1: why I wasn't there.
0: I I don't either. Um, I can't remember why you weren't there. Um, anyways, uh, and then we did the reunion show, quote unquote, after NWL closed down. So I've been Uh there twice. Okay. Um, great venue. Um, have a lot of fond memories. So, so you guys are you're you're kind of hitting the stride now, right? You're we're we're ending year one off you know you're you're starting to sell more tickets starting to get see t-shirts around town what what in your mind what was the first memorable moment where you said ah well i think we've made it like this this is a moment
1: um you know at, at this time early on early on uh trevor murdoch stayed with the company michael strider was there the whole time trevor was the one guy that was on the roster that had national recognition from being on wwf that was a regular so having Trevor come in from, he was coming in from Eldon, Missouri, and, uh, you know, he was really, that was a time where Trevor was trying to get back into, uh, he was Jethro Holiday, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, uh, nice. In Good memory. Good um, memory. He was, uh, he was trying to get back into WWF. And he was getting in really good shape, you know, and Trevor Murdoch at the time wasn't necessarily known for uh, his His body as far as his body. But but that was what I liked about him. You know, I liked that he looked not like uh, everyone else. So um, so he was getting in good shape and he was, you know, obviously had stuff to prove he wanted to get back to the to the big leagues. Uh, which is cool now that he's at NWA and he's still having a, his career is continuing on with that because, you know, like there was a time where I, I didn't know if he was going to come back on the, on the scene, but uh, it was, we had some really fun shows with Trevor. Uh, I, I, I had a, Roster that had uh, numerous big guys on it, you know, and I've, I'm I'm ve- I'm very much a WWF guy growing up. I've told you I, that's I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of the bigger guys being in the main events. Um, you know, like, uh, we had the Derek stones, the Trevor Murdoch's, we had another guy named bull Schmidt who I want to have on here at some point, because he was another big guy from Harley race that had gone to Japan and he was a tall Jack dude. And, you know, we, we had a a good number, you know, striders, a bigger guy, a lot of bigger guys on the roster. And they were all involved in the championship, you know, run. And, um, you know, as far as a specific moment, you know, I can't necessarily say that right away. It was just sort of like we had, we had some really good moments with um, on the early first year to, you know, Trevor and Derek sort of trading championships, uh, and, you know, th- it was just, they were really good psychology, you know, Harley race came in at one point in the early years. Uh, and we sort of did like a old Harley guys versus the current Harley guys. And that was a fun little angle we did for a while. Um, you know, Dan Geyer helped hook me up with, you know, Dan, who of course we've had on this show and he's been the guy and in Midwest wrestling for so many years, helping so many companies out. Uh, he brought Harley in, and man, I got away with not having to pay Harley pretty much anything. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I didn't really book him like a regular thing. He, he came in, he, he was on TV for us. He sort of, uh, was calling some of his former students sort of, you know, he, he was the baby face of course, and everyone cheered him. And he was saying his other students had left him and he's got this new breed now. And so we had Mm. tag teams with like, you know, the, the three older Harley guys versus the three current guys. It was fun. Um, but, uh, you know, as we, Mm went further. Adam Pierce, who of course I had known from the very first show started getting more involved and he became a quasi regular in Kansas city. And that sort of put us on the map a little bit more, you know, like he would come in and have the NWA championship and he'd put it on the line against, uh, he was definitely against Michael Strider against Matt Murphy. I think he even had one against, uh, Jeremy Wyatt at one point. Um, you know, we'd, I, we just tried to have like fun moments on television that were like angles that, you know, sort of were a throwback to yesteryear. We've had Rob Schamberger on here where we had the, the time where, uh, you know, Adam Pierce just waffled, uh, Michael Strider with a painting of himself, you know, uh, sort of like old school, like, you know, Memphis stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every year it became a tradition that in Christmas time, I would have one of the wrestlers dress up as Santa Claus and you never knew who it was. And they would always like, I still have the Santa suit. Like it's a, I, don't, I can't throw it away because it was like so memorable and all these angles. Like every year I would have someone dress up and they would, they would, you know, undress slowly to show who it was. And, uh, one of my favorites was, and the, and the angle is on YouTube and it's fun. It was like ACH who a young ACH before he goes on to, you know, NXT and all that. Um, he was there and he was so good. I mean, when, when, when ACH and I always said after a while, after Trevor moved on and other people had sort of come in and out, uh, Jeremy Wyatt or ACH on the card was always going to, I would always be good because I would have a great match with them, but either both of them or, or just one of them. And uh, ACH had a match with Adam Pierce and Adam Pierce was dressed as Santa. And it was so good because ACH came out and cut a promo about Christmas. And he said he was really pissed off as a child because all he wanted was a basketball and he never got one. And then here comes Santa Claus with Miss Natural as his little elf, right? And they they walk out to the ring and uh, ACH... Uh, he, he says, uh, he pulls out of his bag, uh, a basketball and ACH is like celebrating that. He finally got his basketball, you know, and the color commentator on the show was me. I was the heel color commentator. And then my friend, my college roommate who also worked at time Winter cable, Dave Borchert. Uh, he was the guy that did play by play. And we had so much fun calling the shows together because it was, uh, we, we had rapport cause we were long friends. He was my college roommate. So, um, you know, we had fun. And so you know, Adam Pierce says Santa just waffles ACH and he's like down selling and then he takes it off and everyone freaked out that it was Adam Pierce. Now it always hurt me that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, sort of promote the big name that was going to be in the Santa suit because you can't say he's going to be there as an indie. I'm like, I really want to promote this. It sucks, you know, but I want it to be a surprise too. Uh, so through the years that was Adam Pierce, it was, uh, one year it was Trevor Murdoch coming back. And then, uh, the most, uh, the most entertaining one was the night that I had ace steel wrestling Ricky Morton and, uh, Santa Claus came out and it was unveiled as Bobby Eaton. Okay. And, uh, when we, we joke about it, cause when Bobby Eaton took off the the Santa suit and Bobby Eaton had white hair anyway. But uh, he took it all off, and it was freaking crickets. Like you no know, one, like no one knew Bobby. Oh. Was. And it was like, and we were oh. like, and it was so. We we joked about that. I mean, you know, I don't know people. It was just sort of out of the blue, and Bobby wasn't the most, um, you know, he he, he was wasn't charismatic the- in his own way, but he yeah. wasn't necessarily like a big showboatery, right? So You're right, he had to have,
0: you know, that's why you already ha- already had the flamboyant Condry. Or yeah. Stan Lane or uh, Jim, uh, Jim Cornette backing him up. Cause he was, he was the worker. He was the solid and you know, he mumbled on the mic and he mumbled backstage from what I hear. Like yeah. he had the, he had the, the album. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, what? Like, what did he say? Oh, uh, he was, he was
1: great. And so him and him and Ricky had a moment where they beat up each other, but then they eventually uh, turn on ace but anyway it was uh we had so many memorable moments and i did speak to your question earlier i did have a lot of uh, people come in through the years that were connections from people i knew from wwe i had dr tom come in a couple times i had you know jim Cornette was now he won't even he won't leave his house he won't leave uh you know camp Cornette. but um but he came castle in and castle corner. He came in and had a great angle with, uh, with Strider and, you know, Jeremy Wyatt and man, it was so good. We had some like very fun angles and I, I just think, um, you know, the episodic television is what, it marks it differently from what came before it and what came after it. You know, I mean, you guys at journey pro or central States now, and central States even before that was taped, the central States before was taped a lot for, you know, DVD sales or, you know, right. that wasn't taped for television. So I get it. You just have a one-off show. It's a card. You put it on DVD, sell it. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of what you guys were doing that or doing it live to the internet and no, you know, As an old school guy, I'm always going to say, even today, I don't really think that putting his streaming on the internet is ever going to be nearly as cool as it was on television when it's broadcast at 11 o'clock at night, every Saturday, it was just a cooler moment. It was younger. People won't ever understand that. Uh, Even I won't even understand when they only had two or three channels, how big things were, but you know, (laughs) uh, it was a bigger deal to have it on TV and the episodic nature of it. What made it different and special, I thought, and, um, you know, I, it was uh, God, it was just a lot of fun and it was very popular in Kansas city.
0: So when you started, you, you felt the, um, you know, we're uh, again, we're kind of cruising the altitude. We're cruising at high altitude. Everything's going really well. Um, You're kind of, you know, having all these big names and all the guys that you mentioned, you know, you're getting, you're having fun. Are you you know, towards the end when NWL quote unquote bought you guys out, was there a real buyout? I think you answered that already. Was there a real buyout? Yeah. Okay. So are are you guys starting to hit the apex of your attendance of your TV viewership at that time? Or are we already a little bit on a downward trajectory?
1: The only thing that I the the one thing that had to happen in the middle is I had a hiatus in like 2014, and that was mainly because of we had some major stuff going on at the television station. We had gotten involved with the university of Kansas and, um, we had to do a lot of their sporting events and like my time was not going to be able to be designated towards Metro pro as much as it once was, but that was a short amount of time. I want to say like four to six months, uh, we would run, it never left the air. We would run uh, best ofs or like, you know, some of the more memorable, Uh, we would sort of put new front wraparounds on some of the, uh, older shows that we would, uh, throw to, but, um, you know, they were there, it never left the air. Uh, we came back and I would say 2015, we were like top of the world. I mean, this is, again, I'm just, I know a lot of people say this and, um, You know, I am not a delusional person, as you know. I don't think that we were changing the world in any way. Uh, You know, I'm not going to overstate it. But I will say uh, there was we had many of uh, talks between, you know, myself, Wyatt Strider, Ace, people like that, Craig Kiesman, you know, that this was like I would have put the 2015 shows, 16, you know, as we were. No, I think we were getting our apex there. I I honestly think if I could still run Metro Pro today and it would still do very well. Um, I, I think that it was, uh, it was just basically, uh, I, it, it was, it was getting so popular at that time that we would have put it against any, any show in the country at that point. I really would have. And like, I I w I don't mean to play a small market or, or, you know, Midwest, uh, biasy things here, but that it is true. If if Metro pro would have been on the East or West coast, this thing would have been a much bigger deal than it was. We had very good production. I thought we had good stuff all the way around. We had very good wrestlers. We were very, we didn't have a school, which i never wanted to have a school because I wanted to to be able to cherry pick the best people instead of having to force people that most schools would do normally. You know, like, if you pay me, I got to put you on the air, and, you know, you might be horrible, but I'm going to have to put you on the air. I I didn't want to have to deal with that, because you know, frankly, my biggest problem with professional wrestling on the independent level is You sort of have to make people believe they're better than they really are. So, A, they'll keep paying you, and B, they'll they'll keep wanting to do it, you know? And that's, like, sort of, like, the negative about indie wrestling in general is I feel like a lot of these guys put their lives on hold for, like, decades, and then, you know, they're 40-something years old, and they're still making 50 bucks at shows, and, like, you know, now what, you know, I'm like, yeah, you never got the call and yet you never have a backup plan. You've been the overnight stalker at target for, you know, 15 years. And now you don't have anything to do. I felt sort of bad about that. I really did. Like I, I I had a real problem with that. Um, you know, Metro pro never had any major injuries. I think the most was uh, Domino Rivera had a broken nose once, and that was sort of by his own accident or the guy in his matches accident. And, um, you know, hoodie got hurt once, but you know, there's, there was, uh, thankfully, you know, I was very scared of liability all the time as anyone is in this in indie wrestling stuff. It's because your
0: wife's a lawyer. She scares it into you.
1: She does. Worst case scenario <laughs> at all times. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was, uh, it was hitting its apex in 2015 16, but I will say in 2016, after doing this for the better part of six years, Gabe, I will say I had two, uh, I was about to have my second kid there in early 2016, um, I had been doing it for a while. The stress and uh the you know the, just just the just dealing with all the indie wrestling BS that comes with it. You know, it's it's very similar to working for WWE and this aspect of On paper, it sounds so cool to be involved in the WWE writing team because you're going to go there and you're so damn smart. You've been a fantasy booking your whole life and you're going to go make a difference. But there's so many levels of filtering and so many other political reasons and, uh, you know, uh, personnel reasons that you don't understand that you're not involved in. So you, you don't know, like you'll never make you're going in idealistically, but sorry, the cynicism is going to hit you real fast in the face because you know, that's not how it works. And indie wrestling's like that too. Even though Metro pro is having its best years, I'm getting burnt out. You know, it's like, you know, like if you, if a, a true independent wrestling person that doesn't rely, you know, I did not like relying on people doing stuff for me for free all the time. Dan Geyer helped me all the time. Oh, and yeah. That was, a, that was a great guy at the front door, but I did not like I, my dad brought the ring every time I would, uh, I would help do the ring as much as i could when i didn't have to get all my cameras and other gear ready um i just didn't want to rely and and sort of feel like i was using all these guys you know and uh that sort of bothered me and it was just the the drama of the egos and frankly like i didn't really know what the future held after like 2016 at that point strider and wyatt were thinking about you know, retiring, uh, ace was, uh, you know, sort of the same way you could take it or leave it at that point. Uh, so, you know, I, it, it, I was getting burnt out and that's when I got this random, uh, email from this lawyer, uh, that <laughs> said he was representing major basin and he was possibly wanting to do a new wrestling company that ended up being the NWL. So at that point, after talking with NWL, I ended up selling the rights to Metro pro only temporary. Cause he said once. uh once nwl folded i could have it all back but he did give me a substantial amount of money for uh the metro pro library to use and uh and you, you know me to not run any other shows uh major was a great like business guy and like very understanding and um and that 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 ended up being the end of, of metro pro and it was interesting when it ended i needed to tell you know all the wrestlers like hey can't really say much, but there's something else coming up. But this is going to be the last show, and the, the very last show. Our special guest was the Honky Tonk Man, by the way, which was uh, fitting because I, I wanted him in for so long. But uh,
0: did he shake, rattle, and roll all he over did. the
1: town? He did that. I think he sang it <laughs> twice, and um,
0: <laughs> I don't
1: think he ever. Le- I don't think his feet ever left the ground in any way. But no. I didn't care. It doesn't matter. No. Um, at that point, if, if you had to ask me, my favorite people to ever come in. Uh, it's a really tough to choose between demolition, uh, demolition and Jim Cornette. They were both like. Huge. And Demolition being able to both tag team in an eight-man tag. They were tagging with the commission with Matt Jackson and, you know, Evangelistico. That was such a cool moment. Um, I was big on the uh, moments that I loved as a kid, bringing in the old guys that I loved as a kid. And uh, unfortunately at the time, a lot of them could still work or at least do some functioning in the ring. Right. Yeah. Um we did have I, I wanted to mention we did have one really cool show at the T Bone Stadium, which is now Legends Field out there in uh in Wyandotte, which uh we had an outdoor show and thank god it didn't rain because I was really scared. It sprinkled a little bit, but you know, that's another thing you're scared to death about happening, selling all these tickets and it rains. But we had uh that dreamer came back for that. We had Hacksaw Jim Duggan and um you know that was uh that was another fun uh Monumental show for us just to have it at that ballpark, but, uh, you know, a lot of cool moments, um, independent wrestling is not for the weak at heart. It's, uh, takes a lot (laughs) of your time. It's, uh, you know, it's very stressful and, uh, you know, it's not something that most people can do for a very long amount of time for many, many reasons, not really just financial, just just every time, consumption, you know, uh, getting taken advantage of if you don't know what's going on. And thankfully, I'm full of cynicism, so I was really ready for anything at that point, especially after being burned by the first show. So, you know, it was uh, it was an awesome. I would never uh, not want to do it again, but, uh, you know, it was definitely not something I could do. When I look at, like, a Herb Simmons of the world, I'm like, I don't know how someone like that yeah. can do it for, like, 30 or 40 years. Yeah, it's just, I, I just don't get it it's hard. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's a choice you have to make because it is a grind the entire time. I mean, I think people like Herb have a good support system that of people who want to be involved and stuff, which is great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable to do it that long.
0: So in, in retrospect, you know, uh, thinking about Metro pro, what do you think the legacy of Metro pro is going to be in this town?
1: Well, I think for the people that actually were able to watch Metro Pro, I think, I I mean, I still have people email or tell me all the time. I wish Metro Pro was still around. A lot of people probably say that to you about Journey Pro. I don't really know how it compares to anything else. Um, (laughs) No one says that? Oh, Um, Well, because
0: I wasn't involved towards the latter half of it. So everyone thinks that I, everyone thinks I'm either dead or I don't know, some somewhere else. So, yeah,
1: let's see. Well, you know, uh, I get a lot of love for Metro Pro. Um, I think it's because I did it. Uh, I had the respect of all the people that worked for me for the most part., uh, there's, Ooh, there's, that's
0: something I want to talk about real quick, but continue. Uh,
1: and uh, I was friends and friendly with most of them. I think I was fair with everybody. Uh, it was, uh, something I did, uh, like I said, going in knowing I wasn't going to make any money. It was purely for a, a passion project and for love of the game. And, uh, you know, I, most of the people that I met in, at Metro pro have turned out to be some of my best friends. So, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of positives about it. The legacy I think is that it was one of the best wrestling companies that'll ever be in Kansas city. Uh, I think it's probably going to be the last company that ever has like regular television, uh, for a longer period the nwl had it uh for a shorter period of time uh metro pro was on for i mean minimum five six years if not longer um i was counting the episodes because i was like i was about to be a company on television it was longer than smoky mountain which i is it's not i'm not saying it's apples to apples at all nobody
0: called jim Cornette,
1: (laughs) but uh but you look at that because you're like yeah it's hard to do this for a long time. It Shit, is. Dude. And it's the worst. And yeah. So it, it's, it, it's, I think, uh, I think everyone that liked Met, that was around for Metro pro really, really enjoyed it.
0: So the landscape has changed. Everything has changed. Kansas city has changed as a whole. You just said, yeah, uh, what you thought the legacy or what, what you think the legacy of Metro pro is going to be. And I've asked you this on another podcast, but I'm going to ask you again, specifically pertaining to indie wrestling. Is there ever going to be or could there ever be a bigger, let's say GCW status indie company that comes out of Kansas City?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, it's that not, it has nothing to do with anything outside of just the way the world is now. Okay. Um I think like I was gra- grasping for straws when I was able to get it on TV in a cable form when I did. Uh, NWL was probably uh, the only hope that that could have happened. At a, mm. you know, there was a lot of funding with that, a lot of awesomeness to that sh- to that uh, company, uh, stuff that I never thought would come out of Kansas City, let alone probably anywhere, let alone Kansas City in the country at that time. I mean, we're not talking; it's not Tony Khan level, but it's right. uh, se- right. second to none outside of AEW and WWF at that time. And um, uh, I think, you know, based purely on what happened with NWL and and how that you know major based in and and just us as a whole put so much time and love and effort into trying to market the hell out of that which i will give tons of credit like i think the success of metro pro led to me getting asked uh partially led to me getting asked by major to help run his company uh also my background at WWF obviously didn't didn't hurt but uh (laughs) but metro pro was was a big reason for understanding just uh, the the landscape at the time, and then uh you know what he did with nwl was was second to none, but I just he he got so many more fans uh, to come out of the woodwork for independent wrestling in Kansas city. Cause he, we, we had a channel on broadcast television on 38, the spot had, uh, he, he pumped so much into social media advertising and, you know, we had so much promotion into that. And you could see, even with all that promotion, we weren't drawing 5,000 people, you know? Yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, we had a lot of shows. There was a lot of shows, you know, at the same place, uh, very frequently. So, That was tough, but, uh, but I, for that reason, I don't think so. To answer your question. No.
0: So last question, Chris, and then we'll sail off into the sunset and talk about what's coming in the, in the next few weeks here on this show. If money wasn't an object, would you run again?
1: Uh, I mean, I I always joke that I think a Metro pro could still run today and it would be totally fine. Um, I think I've just sort of, uh, with my kids and my life now, um, that would be the biggest obstacle. Uh, would I love to be involved in indie wrestling again? Sure. It's fun. But, I, but you know, but the problem is Gabe is it's all changed now. Like I don't like shooting this stuff for, for streaming or downloads or live, you know, whatever Twitch or whatever. I, I just, that, that to me is so splintered so hard that it's like I it's not as big of a deal to me and I'm older now so like that's not a cool thing to me like tv's cool to me um so if I'm not going to do it for a television station that has a decent reach then I really don't know what the point is at this point and I don't you know NWL being on 38 the spot I don't know if they'll ever ever have wrestling, wrestling ever again, on again at, the, <laughs> at broadcast level in this town ever just because uh we sort of ended that abruptly but um uh, you know, that in theory, I'd love it. But in re- in actuality, I got too many other things going on that, that, you know, pay better and uh, don't take as much time versus, uh, you know, how much money you make out of it at the end of the day. Because, you know, at a certain point in your life, that's what becomes a priority, you know?
0: Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your insights and, you know, kind of going over the the formation and then the eventual uh, buying out process of Metro Pro wrestling' it was a actually there's a lot of things in there I didn't know about Metro Pro and obviously you know we should still uh commentate some of those older clips and put them up because I think that'd be a lot of fun a lot of fun for the fans to take a look at some of that missing footage from uh oh from the dude, archives. H-
1: A steel gives me so much crap. 2015, he said is like lost. I mean, like I have all these matches, like I said, him and Ricky Morton, uh, the demolition match. I don't think it was ever put out the, the, if you were going to ask me, um, the, the best match of all time in Metro pro wrestling, it would probably be the blow off with Michael Strider and Jeremy Wyatt in a, in a blow off match where, oh, for more than a year, uh, Michael Strider was like putting the, the screws to, jeremy wyatt and just being sort of the evil commissioner dictator here and he was throwing all obstacles against wyatt and at that point i was able to throw wyatt like against christopher daniels against rhino against all these like names i brought in for wyatt and wyatt is such a good wrestler in the ring uh technically wise you know he it was so fun to watch that every month um and so when they had their blow off where strider you know strider is uh man he is a there's a reason why he runs Central States now. He loves wrestling. He yes. was almost... I think he he's close to... I don't know if he's Tommy Dreamer. Who Tom? I was reading an article just today. I was reminding myself that Tommy Dreamer said that when he saw Paul Heyman on WrestleMania 17, he wanted to go to WrestleMania 17, shoot Paul Heyman in the head, and then shoot himself in the head just because of that. He goes, thankfully, I didn't do that because Jim Ross had called and said he wanted to give him a job at some point. But uh, I don't know if Strider would do that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, he would almost do anything to sacrifice his body for wrestling. Uh, he loves it so much. So it's in, you know, I'm not shocked he's still doing what he's doing. Um, but you know, that that match was unbelievable. Strider remembers part of it. Uh, the, his, his brain was a little foggy after it. But, um, you know, what a what an incredible like storyline ride that was. And I think we we're all very accomplished feeling after having a, an angle go over, you know, it was about, yeah, it was between, you know, 14 to 18 months of a storyline wow. and that just doesn't happen anymore. And I, I think we were all sort of testing ourselves to see if we could pull it out that long. And we did. And I, thought, I think everyone following it enjoyed it and it was fun. And you know, that's one thing that I think is missing from independent wrestling shows now around here is that, you know, like there's not a lot of carryover from the last month as far as, you know, oh just, no, no. The, the reasoning being, and I don't blame them, they don't have T V or anything right. or anything. So it's not it's not like something they can do that easy, you know. Right. But um, exactly. not to say that things don't lead to the next show, you know, like oh, these guys fought, so now they have a cage max next month. I, I get it but episodic is different than that. So Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Chris, well, what do we have coming up in the next few weeks lined up here on the worst territory in the world?
1: Well, I don't think I told you this, uh, maybe I didn't. Uh, yesterday I had at least it was it was an hour if not an hour and a half talk with Akio Sato. Did I oh, tell you nice. that?
0: Yeah, you, that, yes, you did. Yes. Okay, did. it was
1: uh it was it was cool to finally talk to Sato because he has lived in Kansas City since I think early 80s. He came here before then and then he traveled around, you know, he was working different places. He's married to Betty Nikolai, who uh used to be a, a wrestler as well. But uh he lives in Kansas City. I was not able oh, to wow. interview him uh for the documentary I did back in two thousand nine, but uh he wasn't available. But he's been retired long retired, and um I am going to interview him as we record this. I'm gonna interview him on Monday. And he is, uh, he's very, he's a very funny guy. Um, he has lived here a long time, but you can still tell that he's from Japan and, uh, he is, uh, he is filled with like some fun stories that you're going to get a unique perspective on. But, um, he's a guy that goes way back. I mean, we're starting in the seventies, you know, uh, I had someone else, uh, email me and ask about, Hey, can you talk about the years that Buck Robley was here? And do you know, Buck Robley at all, Gabe? No, I don't. So Buck Robley was a real thin guy, but he was just a real, he was just a real, uh, annoying heel, you know, total yellow, like cowardice heel. And it was, uh, he, he was a smaller, tall, but smaller. And, uh, he sort of burned a lot of bridges that that I've sort of read that through the years, but he was uh, a booker, good mind for the business. Uh, Where where, uh, Sort of wore out his welcome everywhere he went But he was a uh, pretty well-known guy Back in the day Friends of Brody And um, he booked here Uh, And I believe he booked when J.J. Dillon was around here too Which uh, I'm hopefully I talked with J.J. Dillon's daughter And when I go to Cauliflower Alley this year Which is in August uh, I'm going to be able to talk to J.J. About when he was working in the Kansas City office Of the year 1981 So that would be cool um, Buck Robley's another guy that, uh, he passed away, but like in 2012, when Metro was doing pretty well at that time, still growing, uh, he called me out of the blue, had no idea who he was. He's like, this is Buck Robley. And I'm like, really? Like, uh, <laughs> hi, I, yeah, I, I know really? who you are. And he's like, he said he had, I mean, dude, he was, I don't know what age he was at that point, but he was up there and, and like a true wrestling guy. He said that he had another angel, another money guy that wanted to start a company down in Louisiana. Yeah. He was was calling. He probably called. Mark has probably has a story too, where he probably called a bunch of guys around the country and he wanted to start a a, a fed and he knew I had, had had TV and he wanted to sort of work with me on getting TV up here and I could help him sort of book some stuff too and blah, blah, blah. Well, he, I didn't hear from him after that for a while. And then he, then he passed away in 2013, not too long after that, but he had a, he had a tumultuous uh, sort of run in Kansas city and pretty much everywhere he went. So I do want to get his perspective on that. I did not ask uh, Akio about that the other day, but I think uh, Sato will have. Uh, he he did tell me, though, that he went to his first AEW show, and he hadn't gone to a ticketed wrestling show <laughs> in forever. <laughs> and the reason why he went there was because he said one of his former students that he taught when she was just a young girl was on the roster. And I said, really? And it's Emmy Sakura.
0: Oh, he
1: uh, left him tickets and I guess he went when they were an in independent. So I thought that was pretty cool that he still has a connection with that. But that's uh... fun. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking with him and I want to thank Mike George for hooking me up with the Sato. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be our next one. Definitely. After that, we'll see. I definitely want to do some more NWL shows. And I do think that we're going to have some more perspective on Metro Pro Wrestling as we go forward with other wrestlers that we talk to who are also part of NWL. Um, because I think there's uh, a lot of moments that, you know, as you as you know, Gabe, maybe not. I'm not the best at remembering every little thing that happens during a show day because I'm basically running around sweating and like, uh, you know, not paying attention to everything that I need to, because I got 50 other things to worry about. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, we'll be getting more perspectives on that.
0: That's exactly what I, yeah, I, I hardly ever, when people bring up things about journey pro, I'm like, huh? That happened? Yeah, I'm like, I understand. I'm like, Oh, that's crazy. I was like, I don't even remember that, but Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, uh, yeah, everyone, don't forget, follow us on Facebook. Get us up to those likes that we – I'm going to check the likes right now while we're talking, Chris, because – We're if still we could, in the 600s
1: right now, so we're not going to be that's anywhere a bunch, near you.
0: That's a bunch of horse crap. We need to get to 1,500 so I can force Chris to make our first shirt. Uh, so don't forget to go and uh, follow us on facebook.com slash worstwrestling. Also, isn't that our YouTube address as well, Chris?
1: Yes, everything's worst wrestling. And I did want to reiterate to everybody that cause I got an email the other day through the winery and I he had to work pretty hard to find that one. So uh <laughs> email us at worst wrestling at gmail.com. If you have any questions, if you have any guest ideas, any show topics you think we should hit, worst wrestling at gmail dot com. And uh Yeah, I like talking with the fans and like the Central States fans because they're, um, you know, it's fun to talk old school shop with them and just to get their perspective on when they were kids going to Memorial Hall back in the 70s or so.
0: So we have Worst Territory at Gmail on our Facebook, so we should probably change that. Yeah,
1: I get both, but uh, since Worst Wrestling is everything else that we have, I have both going to me, so. Okay.
0: And, and you know, maybe, Chris, it would be fun to do a, a Q&A episode. So, yeah, hit us up with some questions, see if we can compile some and and get a Q&A episode. And don't forget, please, please, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to us right now. And that really helps us get boosted into the charts, into the algorithm, all that good kind of stuff, and uh, gets the show more notice. So thank you so much for uh, listening this week, everybody. And we will see you same bad time, same bad channel. Where we take the best part of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. For Chris Koff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. It's the worst territory.